Vegas, baby, Vegas! At the end of the game, you count up your money. That's how you find out who's best. If all my bets were safe, there just wouldn't be any juice. Juice. Welcome into another Behind the Bets podcast. I'm Doug Kazarian. We are taping this on Wednesday, May 12th, the big holiday in the sport of the football. We have the big schedule release, and I know a lot of you guys are checking out week one line, so there's we're gonna do plenty of content in on that in the coming uh, months leading up to opening night in the NFL. But we're talking UFC 262 coming up. This one on the road, not in Jacksonville like a couple weeks ago, but in Houston instead. Uh, interesting main and co-main, both in the lightweight division. We have Matthew Holt and Lou Finicaro getting set to join us. Again, it's been a while since we had them on, so it'll be good to connect on that front. And uh, we have a lot of plays, in fact, uh, in terms of over-unders and sides. And the guys are pretty have strong conviction on a couple sides that have really low money lines, all things considered. So should be a good one. So let's get to it. The NBA play-in tournament is happening May 18th through the 21st. It's a new exciting twist to determine who makes the playoffs in both conferences. The seven through 10 place teams vying for the seventh and eighth spots. Some teams are currently playing to avoid the tournament. Others are desperately trying to get in the end of the regular season. The seven and eight place teams square off winner gets locked into the seventh seed. Loser plays the winner of the game between the ninth and 10th place teams. Winner of that game clinches the eighth seed. ESPN Radio and ESPN is your home for all the drama Wednesday, May 19th and Friday, May 21st. Uh, you using the whole fist, Doc? It's not quite reuniting the Beatles, but it is good to get the band back together. Matthew Holt and Lou Finicaro joining me here to preview UFC 262 on the road. They're back on the road after Jacksonville a couple weeks ago. They head to Houston. Fellas, good to be with you. Good to be with you. Excited to be back. And what a card we have to sort of get the band back together. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm fascinated by this. And uh, Lou, I'll start with you in the main event because it is uh, extremely fascinating, just given that you have veterans, one of Bellator and one of uh, the UFC. Oliver has appeared in 28 UFC fights. That's the most in UFC history. And this belt is up for grabs with uh, Nurmagomedov vacating it and retiring from the sport. So you have both guys are decorating their respective sports, but you know, I know you guys do a great job of breaking down the Bellator circuit. Lou, how do you anticipate this playing out here in the lightweight bout? That's only two and a half rounds. I like the under, that's just my lean there. Plus Plus one thirty. I do like under two and a half. I think both guys like to make quick work, but how do you see this fight coming out? Uh, I, I see it as a fascinating clash of styles. Um, you have the short, stocky, fire hydrant, uh, world-class base wrestler with profuse power and explosion, uh, fighting a guy that's going to be two inches taller, four years younger, going to have a three-inch reach advantage, arms and legs. Uh, I handicap Michael Chandler is arriving to this fight with the beneficiary of a, a little bit of recency. Uh, not only did he annihilate Dan Hooker, but when you look into that fight, Hooker's quarantine process for that fight was inhumane, coupled with the fact that he fought a terror, just a low IQ fight backing up from Chandler. Listen, Chandler has uh, stopped opponents in 17 of his fights, 13 of those in the first round. So it's, it's clear Oliveira, with his deeper body of work, he has fought the more competent level of opponent, in my opinion. And based on that, uh, I believe 
with the momentum that he arrives with and the more well-rounded fight game that he's going to have to figure out how to navigate that first round. And I think the way to do it is to bull rush Chandler, just like Chandler will bull rush him, use his knees, elbows, and uppercuts, uh, but be aggressive and find this fight into the second round. I, I do like Oliveira in the fight. He opened minus 150. He's now minus 125 or minus 130. And I think there's a proportional uh, over under that correlates with Oliveira and that's the over. And I like the over in the fight as well because I believe it's gonna take Oliveira a little time to chop down the Michael Chandler tree. And I believe that Michael Chandler is going to help him because his cardio will wane in that second and third round. Okay. And uh, Matthew, obviously you've, uh, you track the uh, other circuits as well. Uh, this is, um, you know, obviously, and also we should, we should mention Oliver has gone back and forth between, but not, lightweight is where he's nine and one in his last 10 since 2017. Yeah. I really like Charles Oliveira here and nothing against Michael Chandler and his resume. You know, people always think of Bellator as a lesser organization and it certainly is a step down from UFC, but not a giant step down. We're talking about a guy who fought Eddie Alvarez twice, the same Eddie Alvarez who fought for the UFC lightweight title. You know, he's been in there with Benson Henderson uh, twice, the former UFC lightweight champion of the world. So his level of competition isn't that bad for Michael Chandler but stylistically his fights are sort of a rinse and repeat over and over and over again super dangerous in the first round both with his lethal right hand and his takedown and wrestling tends to fade as the fight goes on and doesn't have a plan C D or E his re his right hand is always plan A his wrestling is plan B but there is no plan C D or E normally for Michael Chandler you know he's really really good at doing a couple of things Charles Oliveira, the evolution of Charles Oliveira has been amazing to watch. We always talk about how it takes guys a little bit more time in MMA than boxing to fully hit their prime because of all the different diverse skills that they have to learn. And if you go back to 2016, five years ago, the last time that we saw Charles Oliveira sort of losing fights in the back-to-back you know, -back losses to Anthony Pettis and Ricardo Lamas, it was apparent that physically he wasn't up to snuff with the, with the title challenger level in the UFC. His skill set was amazing. His striking was coming along. His, his jujitsu was some of the best in the world, but his body just wasn't there. So he rededicated himself to becoming an elite athlete to go along with that elite skill set. And now, just turning 31 years old, I think he's finally put it all together. His striking has really, um, you know, transitioned from good to excellent. His jujitsu is amazing. He can submit guys from anywhere. And he is really tall and long for this division. I think that he, his height and reach are going to give Chandler problems early on. Chandler will be the aggressor early. I think Oliveira will be able to easily withstand that power. And then as the fight goes on, I'm with Lou. I lean toward the over, but I think Oliveira gets him somewhere in about round three or round four. And it's an amazing submission win for the new lightweight champion of the world, Charles DeBronx Oliveira. All right. Sounds like we're both fired up for this matchup. Uh, the styles make fights and it should be a good one. Um, but that's not, there's actually a co-main here with Ferguson and Dariush. 
Uh, I'm going to go to you, Matthew, first, because I know you have an official play here and you're on the total. Yeah, I, I like the over in this fight a lot. Look, Tony Ferguson at 37 years old is not the same Tony Ferguson that all the fans fell in love with, that everybody was clamoring to see fight Khabib, Nurmagomedov. And, and maybe the biggest travesty in the history of UFC is that we never got to see Tony Ferguson fight Khabib. But this Tony Ferguson at 37 years old isn't that same Tony Ferguson that might have been able to beat Khabib. This guy is a step behind the Tony Ferguson that we all wanted to see fight Khabib. And that is probably going to be bad news in this fight against a really, really athletic guy and Benil Dariush that trains at Kings MMA. He's on a six fight win streak currently and looks like he really has things going, but for all of the issues, Tony Ferguson has maybe a step behind here. He is tough as nails. And we saw it in that, in that Justin Gaethje fight that maybe he's even too tough because he mm. just would not go down despite the beating he was going to take. I thought Charles Oliveira in his last fight was going to submit him multiple times and Ferguson was able to survive any of those submission attempts, hang in that fight. Look, at the end of the day, I don't think Tony Ferguson is probably able to beat elite fighters anymore. That Those days are probably gone for him. But he is really tough, and he doesn't have that one-punch power anymore. It's just not there. The, even the recent knockouts he had were over guys like Cowboy Cerrone and Anthony Pettis. You have to go way back to 2014 to find a, a legit one-punch knockout from Tony Ferguson. Um, and that was against lesser competition. So I don't think he's he's going to be able to knock out Benil Dariush. I don't think Dariush is going to knock him out. This one really feels like it's going the distance. I think Dariush by decision is probably the best value play, but I did already play over two and a half rounds minus 180. All right, Ferguson coming off his first uh, two-fight losing streak of his career. And we've talked about this in the fight game, that when it goes, it sometimes goes, that chin can certainly soften. Lou, how do you see it uh, all playing out? Yeah, I, I really agree with Matthew in many uh, capacities. I, I To me, this is a crossroads fight. Seemingly, Ferguson's on the way down and Dariush is on the way up. However, uh, you know, I, I guys have a bad fight or two. And, and even though he got the brakes beat off him by Gaethje and Oliveira, um, Ferguson still has talent. He still has pride. And when I look at the matchup between these two guys, you're looking at two guys that really kind of fight the same way. And uh, if it's standing up, Ferguson's going to be the taller, longer fighter fighting a lefty. Uh, if Dariush takes the Oliviera plan and just tries to put him down on the ground, I think that's the legitimate way to try and win this fight as opposed to standing with Tony. I just don't know that Benil Dariush can take Tony Ferguson to the ground. And so I'm intrigued in this fight. Yes, when it goes, like Tyron Woody, when Tyron Woodley went, he went quick. And if Dariush goes in there and disposes Ferguson, he'll be gone. But I'm not going to call him gone yet. I think he has a chance to compete in this fight. And if his price keeps moving up, I'll, I may have to consider him. Uh, but it's an intriguing fight. Two ships passing in the night, seemingly. All right. So, uh, by the way, the over two and a half is about minus 200 in that range. So expected to maybe go uh, th to, through that through that to the third round. Uh, let's go to elsewhere in the card. And this will go a little bit more rapid fire. Matthew, you're up going down the uh, list on ESPN.com. 
you uh, you like the underdog here in the Bontarine fight. Yeah, I really like Rogerio Bontarine. I was on Bontarine in his last fight, and and sometimes we and Lou will tell you this: we can get a little bit biased because of what our eyes tell us sometimes. And I sure. took Rogerio Bontarine in our last fight as a big underdog against Kai Kara France, and right up until the second he got hit with that huge right hand uppercut combo, I loved everything I was seeing from Rogerio Bontarine in that fight against a guy with a lot of hype and a lot of. Ex- experience and class behind him in Kai Kara France coming out of that city kickboxing gym where Israel Adesanya trains and so many famous fighters are from now he was winning the stand-up on the feet and had backed up Kai Kara France hurt him on the feet got the fight to the ground had three different times where I thought the rear naked choke was in tight and that Kai Kara France was going to tap he, get, he did gas himself a little bit, selling out, going for the chokes. And then I think with only like 15 or, or, you know, 10 or 15 seconds left in the round, he was obviously fatigued going for those chokes, sort of let up right at the end of the round and got hit with an incredible two-piece from Kai Kara France, which actually ended the fight. But right up until that, everything that I thought he would be able to do is a very big underdog he had done in that fight. So other than that five second moment where he got hit with this combo and got put out, he he was doing and accomplishing everything I thought he could. And I think, you know, this is probably a good bounce back spot against somebody in Matt Schnell, who is certainly at least a notch or two below Kai Kaur France, who at his peak was ranked in the top 10 in the 125 pound rankings in the UFC. So again, we get Bontarine as an underdog. But this time, I only believe that the price is so high because he got knocked out in the first round of his last fight. But go back and watch that first, that one and only round of the Bontarine Kai Kara France fight in March. And you'll see that Bontarine was getting the better of it for most of that round and almost finished him three times. Sometimes the record books can lie a little bit and can and mislead odds makers. I think Rogerio Bontarine is very live in this fight. Okay, um, and that is uh, underdog round plus one thirty or so. And we'll round out the the main card with their first women's fight. And Lou, you like uh, Chukagian here, the uh, my fellow Armenian as a favorite, slight favorite. Yes, uh, I, I I love all Armenians, of course, uh, but I especially <laughs> I especially like women's fights uh, because they tend to go over. And in this particular matchup, we've got an over sensation in Caitlin Shukagian, whose uh, long length and physicality, uh, she's a pitter patter fighter. She's going to be five inches the taller woman. She's younger. Uh, even though reach is the same, the leverage is going to be different. And uh, Shukagian has been the beneficiary of the fighting the who's who in 125 and 135 pound division. She's faced both Shevchenko girls and her body of work is steep and thick and she's got great experience and she's had great success. On the other hand, uh, Viv Araju, the Brazilian fighter, uh, very capable and she's going to have to sell out to try and get inside of Shukagian. I don't, even though she's beaten a couple of decent fighters on her way here, I don't think her body of competition 
or her physical size and stature coupled with her Brazilian jiu-jitsu game is going to allow her to penetrate the experience and length of Shukagian. And for that reason, uh, I'm not going to take Shukagian as a slight favorite. I'm going to take her via the decision, which is plus 100 or plus 105, understanding that the over in this fight is two and a half minus 420 to the over. Okay, so you see that the odds makers are saying they expect this to go basically the distance. So you're going to try to capitalize on the value with the decision. Yeah, the over two and a half and minus 420 is pretty strong in terms of that. So I like you going to the decision there. But um, feel more comfortable, those listening, you want to lay the dollar forty? That uh, there certainly flies. Let's now let's round out the main card with another total from you, Matthew. And you, this one, you going against the juice here on an under. Yeah, I, I like under two and a half rounds in Shane Burgos, Edson Barbosa fight. And this was one that I think everyone knew was going to be a scrap anyway. Look, Shane Burgos is a brawler. His nickname is Hurricane for a reason. That's the way he fights. He just gets in there and throws down. Um, But what I really thought was interesting this week is how Burgos has said, this is the biggest fight of his career. This is the fight he's always wanted. He's dreamed about fighting a striker like Barbosa. And Burgos only knows one way to fight. And at this point in his career, there's two things I think that we've learned about Edson Barbosa recently. Number one is that Father Time remains undefeated. And the first win that Father Time normally gets against fighters is against their chin. And Edson at Barbosa has certainly become chinny late in his career, as we saw with KO losses to Kevin Lee and Justin Gaethje. This was a guy who was granite chin early in his career, who's been hurt in several fights, even when he wins later in his career, now going up against a huge puncher in Shane Burgos, who could put his lights out at any moment. But because of Burgos, you know, constantly forward moving ultra aggressive style, as we saw in the Calvin guitar fight, he makes himself vulnerable for getting knocked out. And Edson Barbosa's kicks are some of the most devastating in the history of MMA. So the opportunity for Barbosa to score a knockout either by high kick KO, which is probably more likely than the punch, but he's also a huge puncher. I think this one actually has a better chance of not going the distance than it does going the distance. And thus at plus 155, which is what I got on the, I mean, plus 150, which is what I got on the under, I thought it was a steal of a value. Okay. Good breakdown. And you can obviously go yes, no on the, go the distance or not. So uh, we have basically a coin flip fight here. And I know you guys are both on Muniz. Lou, I'll let you start here with, with the Brazilian against uh, Brazilian crime here. Uh, as far as the Muniz Jacare fight, this is as much uh, a vote in Andre Muniz's corner uh, as a young, I mean, he's, he's a 30, 31 year old fighter. He's gonna be taller. He's a Southpaw six inch reach advantage. And uh, he's decorated with Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. That said, the experience of his black belt, as well as the two-fight UFC experience, will uh, come far, uh, it's far less deep than the results and the steep background of Jacare Souza. He, Jacare is a legend. But he's 41. He's lost his last several fights. 
And I do really think that in this fight, I, I can proclaim Jakari as being in the Woodley camp uh, where I'm not really ready to give that to Ferguson. I'm ready to give it to Jakari. And against a, a young Brazilian up-and-comer, I just think this is a bad matchup for Jakari. And as long as it stays on the feet and Muniz knows the one-trick nature of Ronaldo Souza, I think Muniz is in a great position in this fight. Matthew, what do you think? I know why, what's your defense, sir? What's your explanation yeah, I, here? I really agree. And we talked about guys when they, you know, they hit that time when it's just over for them and they can't really fight the same anymore. And and Jacare Souza is one of that guys. And I know how fun it was to do the Florida Gator Chomp for Jacare, which stands for alligator in Portuguese, and and how exciting he was earlier in his career. And this is another guy that it's a shame never really fought for the title in the UFC, considering you know how how amazing his career was overall in many organizations. But at the end of the day, now at 41 years old, he's lost three in a row, four of his last five. And what I thought was really interesting is in his last fight against Kevin Holland, he got dusted literally 90 seconds in Jacare Souza against the guy who's not known for his one punch knockout power. And Kevin Holland just absolutely dusted Jacare I don't know what he has left now at 41 years old, and I don't know what he's fighting for. He's certainly nowhere near ever getting back into title contention. So he's really a 41-year-old gatekeeper just fighting for paychecks who doesn't seem to be all that competitive anymore. I feel like Andre Munez it really has all the advantages here to lose point 10 years younger, also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, which, which means that Jacare's one advantage of being this Brazilian jiu-jitsu ace is probably going to be, you know, uh, no longer relevant here. And thus it's going to be really hard for me to see him picking up the victory. I think Andre Munez is probably a really good value and around a pick yeah, I was going to say pretty firm opinions for a guy who's about minus 110, minus a buck 15 in most shops. We'll round out the pod. Lou, you get the honors and the uh, final play here, Mike Grundy. Well, first, let me say thanks, Doug, for bringing us on together. I, I always learn listening to Matthew. These are great. And so uh, Mike Grundy and Lando Venata. Uh, Grundy has totally impressed me. The guy has solid striking power. But the wrestling base is what I've really been impressed with. And really, uh, his, his last couple of fights, uh, he beat a really tough kid in Nad Naramani. But more importantly, his loss to Ibloev, the Russian, probably did as much for me getting on his bandwagon in a loss as anything. He's tough. He's unrelenting. He's got great forward pressure. And he's a natural 145er. For this fight, Lando Venata, Groovy Venata, he's dropping for the first time from 55 to 45. And I think that's a little bit of a red flag. He's searching to try and get some momentum. I will say that in this fight, what he'll have is the fact that he will be at least as big as Grundy because he's used to giving up size to the 55ers. But I think this is a great position for Mike Grundy uh, who opened minus 170, and now there's been a steady stream of Venata money, and I think it's great because it enhances the value and the opportunity on Mike Grundy, who's priced at maybe minus 120 or 125 right now. 
And he took that Evloev fight on short notice. I agree with Lou here. He took that Evloev fight on short notice. And it took him a little while to get to the UFC, but he came into the UFC on a really long, impressive win streak, like nine or 10 in a row. Uh, and I thought he's looked great in both his UFC fights as well. All right, fellas, good stuff as always. It was fun to reconnect. I know I uh, text you guys a bunch uh, during the weekend, so it is nice to uh, share some of that wisdom with our listeners. Um, thanks again. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Best of luck this weekend. Always a pleasure and enjoy the fights. Everyone. Nobody has ever bet enough on a winning horse. All right. That's going to do it for this podcast. Thanks to Matthew. Thanks to Lou. And thanks to everyone listening. Just want to remind you, we have a daily wager podcast Monday through Friday posts around 12, 15 PM Eastern, um, and has all our plays for that day, especially because we have a different daily wager schedule this week. No show yesterday, no show tonight, but we are doing the ESPN Plus special edition, the NFL schedule release show we're doing with the fantasy crew. So that should be a lot of fun on that. So make sure you join us over there. Uh, that's going to do it, though, for this pod. And appreciate all your listening and good luck this weekend.